Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married to Who spin-off podcast where me, Jake, and my brother Alex watch classic Who in whatever order we want. This week we are here to begin our Companions series. Mm-hmm. We're starting with Companion Numero Uno, Susan Foreman. How these Companion series are going to work is we're going to choose... Two stories to watch that will typically be their first and last episodes. Uh, in some cases, we've already seen one or the other of those. So we will pick episodes based on what our Twitter friends think is like the most like most encapsulates that character. And so for Susan, we had already seen the Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is her final episode. Yeah. So we watched The Sensorites, which our Twitter friends voted unanimously as like the most Susan episode or story. That's wild. Everybody, huh? 100%. So for this podcast, we watched Susan's first episode, An Unearthly Child. We only watched episode one because fuck if I'm going to watch those (laughs) cavemen again. I, then, I did watch the caveman. You watched the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. Well, then you, I want to hear about it. And so, yeah, we're going to kind of focus on talking about the companion, but also we're doing this just as an, as an excuse to like randomly watch episodes yeah. that maybe we had, wouldn't have picked otherwise. So like, I own the Sensorites. I never watched it because- it, well, you, You've never seen it, huh? No, it oh. came out like three months after I did my- my doctor who watched through of like the 60s in 2011 <laughs> and yeah. uh so it came out like february of 2012 or something so i bought it but i just never went back and watched it nice uh so that's kind of the goal here is maybe not to be super academic about each companion like there's plenty of podcasts for shit like that but we're just using it as an excuse to go watch some episodes that we might not have otherwise picked but alex i have a confession okay I forgot my notes. I oh, hell. <laughs> I've been writing my notes on Susan for a couple of months now, <laughs> as we knew that oh, this no. was coming up. And yes, we're in a pandemic. Alex and I are in the same room together. We are more than six feet apart. Yeah. We are also brothers. We know everything about each other. We both work from home. We don't see any other people. I am in this room. Most of my life now. (laughs) (laughs) And Alex's wife, Jill, from the Married to Who podcast, works at an elder care facility. Yeah. She's tested every three days. She gets tested constantly. Yeah. So we know... 100% negative. (laughs) (laughs) So we know that Alex is good. Alex is the only human I ever see. So uh, that's why we feel comfortable, even though we live in a place that is, if it was its own country, (laughs) the highest per capita of coronavirus cases. But we just don't go anywhere. Right. So it's perfect. So we're okay. <laughs> we feel comfortable doing it this way. We are very safe people when it comes to coronavirus. 
just want to get that out there because we do sometimes make references to the fact that we're in the same room. And it's unavoidable when I say that I forgot my notes <laughs> at my house, which is, you know, a 20 minute drive away. Yeah. That being said, maybe we should talk about the two episodes just kind of in general with maybe sprinkling in our thoughts on Susan and then end with some Susan talk. Sure. Yeah. So this is our episode on Susan Foreman. We begin with an unearthly child. Alex, what do you think? So is it actually her last name or like they just picked it because that was the junkyard, right? Yeah. Okay. And in fact, um, David Whitaker, who was the script editor at the time, when he started writing the novelizations for this period of Doctor Who, he changed her name to Susan English. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah. So the only story I've seen Susan in is um, Dalek Invasion of Earth, right? Well, no, I've seen a And the Daleks. And the Daleks, that's right, yes. So um, it was interesting seeing the, that first episode and then Sensorites knowing where she ends up in the end. Um, it was kind of cool to see, you know, not seeing the whole arc like through all of the stories, but kind of seeing some like bullet points, you know? I thought in the first uh, story, she was like, I love the mystery of it. Like just Ian and Barbara being like, this, this lady's weird. <laughs> and and then having that like montage of her just being ultra smart in the classrooms. But also like the weirdest fucking chick. Yeah. Like when, when they offer a ride, she's like, no, no, no. I like walking home in the dark. It's mysterious. Like, hey, creepo. <laughs> Like just behave, like just because you're not from this time doesn't mean you're like you can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> like she's the worst at being incognito. I just think it was it, it was it was fun. It was good. And and maybe it's because like I know, you know, she's not human and she's like trying to keep a secret or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was great and then seeing the sensorites um how like she was standing up for herself, kind of taking control. Hold on, hold on. You're getting to the end of this podcast. Oh, well, I thought we were doing like... We're going to talk about the stories by themselves. Oh, okay. And we can like kind of focus on Susan, but just about the stories. And then we'll talk about Susan at the end. Sure. Okay. So just an unearthly child. What do you think of the story? Well, I think we got your... What do you think about the first episode? Yeah. Well, and then also in that, the doctor was very rigid. Yeah. Like that was kind of jarring. Like he was almost seemingly seeming like an evil person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just actively going out of his way to not help Ian and Barbara like ease their concern about a <laughs> child. <laughs> well, I really like when Ian's like, well, we're going to go get a policeman. And he's like, good. Yeah. And then uh, Ian goes, well, you're going to come with us. And the doctor's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that scene was fun. And seeing the TARDIS, like, immediately first shot, that was kind of cool. It's like laying down the groundwork. I really like this very first TARDIS interior, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I like that reveal. But it's, you know, in the in the 80s in particular, it's really just a white room with the console in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then maybe there's, you know, a coat rack or something, a chair here and there. Yeah, there was some art stuff, too, like, in the background. Right. Yeah. But this TARDIS, the interior, there's like so much other stuff in the background, mm -hmm. like other 
contraptions whirring and lights and uh you yeah. know the computer tape spinning and yeah you no know, glass doors and shit like that you know what it reminded me of um when in mark of the ronnie when we got into her lab it kind of reminded me of that because yeah. like there was just a bunch of random like experimental stuff in the background that they never really focused on it was just like environmental stuff to look at mm-hmm. um yeah, it was just interesting because before it's just been a white room, like just clear. I'm very interested to hear what you think about the rest, the next three episodes. Is it a four episode? It was story? a four episode series. Uh, it was interesting. I, I don't know. Was it? it? <laughs> I mean, I. It's kind of it's kind of similar to the sensor, right? It's like it's just power struggle yeah. story. I mean, yeah. that's really all it is. <laughs> but like trying to think that. I don't know, caveman society had a hierarchical... Yeah. The person who has fire is in charge? Yeah. Like, that's... They would just fight each other, and then whoever (laughs) wins, wins, right? Like, they wouldn't, like, have conversations, and then there wouldn't be, like, a a father betrothing his daughter to gain favor of the guy who has fire, and, like, the daughter trying to backstab... Like, that's a whole level of cognitive thought that I don't think cavemen would have had. (laughs) Cavemans. Cavemans. (laughs) Uh, I do like that, like, that's what the show was supposed to be or what it, how it was originally yeah. intended. Like, stories in the past that you, like, we're going to do one next week that you, like, do teach kids about history. Mm-hmm. This one, not so much because it's cavemen and they're, Who just, knows? Yeah. they're just making shit up. Yeah. But it was supposed to be, like, a historical where the kids learn something. Maybe something in the future that is like an allegory, so it's like a um, a morality play, mm-hmm. and then something weird that's maybe just some dumb sci-fi fun. Maybe has like a message in there. So I should point out, "An Unearthly Child," written by Anthony Coburn, directed by Warris Hussein, aired November twenty-third, nineteen Uh Anything else you want to say about the rest of the story? The doctor is about to crush a guy's head with a rock. Everyone loves to talk about that. I guess I missed that. I was I was thinking of the uh, the actual caveman fight that took like thirty seconds, no, thirty minutes felt like it's forever. Um, I will say I did like the like the tone of the story. I felt like like I kept remembering that oh this is the first story that they ever did, um, and they hit their mark like the feeling I got watching this was so Doctor Who. Like, it wasn't like they were trying to get into their groove. I felt like what was made was, as far as, like, quality and um, how it was made and what it looked like and how it made me feel, it was like watching any other Doctor Who episode, which I thought was kind of unique. Like, they just hit their mark and they were on. Um, Same thing with the Doctor. Like, he was a little rigid, but he commanded the screen. Like, he was just in it, like, immediately. And that was really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny because that story is kind of kind of stands alone when you look at the rest. Like you wonder when the other scripts you have in are like the Daleks and other ones from season one that people love, like Marco Polo. And but to have this boring ass caveman one <laughs> be <laughs> first just seems like. You're shooting yourself in the foot before you can get going. And I don't know the reality of the situation, but when you watch the docudrama Adventure in Space and Time, 
like how close it was to all falling apart and then yeah. when the daleks aired then it's like oh shit here we go but why wait till week five <laughs> to start yeah and that's a good point too like you know we're watching it kind of well i did all at once whereas each episode 25 minutes or whatever is once a week so watching that yeah i could i could see it like losing like after the first airing see it losing its allure right like maybe like that cliffhanger at the end of episode one is great Mm -hmm. yeah with with the shadow right oh that was good but then if so like I would totally tune in for week two if I was a ten year old nineteen sixty three. Mm-hmm. But after that next one, <laughs> it would be pretty tough yeah. to figure out like why these posh speaking uh Neanderthals <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um and then just seeing like how the relationship between Team TARDIS started. Yeah. Um, you know, the doctor kind of just angry at Ian all the time. And then them later in, in a, in a, in a later episode of the, of the story, uh, just having an outright argument, like fighting each other. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, and then seeing how Susan is now, and then like knowing how she is in other episodes, it's, it's just cool to see. I liked it. I enjoyed watching it at least once. I would probably wouldn't watch it again. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. That you liked it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know what? I'm not ever going to watch it again either. <laughs> I'm sure I will someday. Um, it was a little weird. Or I was a little bummed going through Amazon today or just the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, we're doing these two stories for Susan. So I watched some of the other ones that we're not going to do, like mm-hmm. Planet of Giants. And mm-hmm. I rewatched, um, I'm blanking on the name, but the two-parter where they're stuck in the TARDIS that everyone hates. I rewatched that and actually kind of had a good time. So I was bummed because I was like, oh, there's actually like not a ton of first doctor stuff, especially with this with Susan. Yeah. And so it didn't take me long to like completely watch every story that she's in. Uh, Because what is she out series two? Is that when? Yeah, she's out in series two and there's just a bunch of stuff from season one missing. Yeah. And it's a bummer. Like everyone wants Marco Polo so bad. And they're, you know, they're doing all the animations right now, but they're really focusing on Second Doctor. Yeah, because Second Doctor barely has anything, right? I think, and don't quote me on this, I'm not going to look it up, that most of the animations they've been doing have been from the same seasons. So that when they're done, they can come out with like a box set of the whole season and charge 50 bucks for it or whatever. It makes sense. It is then time. We're going to move on to the Sensorites. Written by... Peter R. Newman, directed by Mervyn Pinfield and Frank Cox. Usually when you get stories that are a lot of episodes, like six, there'll be a couple different directors. Okay. Aired June 20th to August 1st, 1964. Oh, what'd you think of this one? I laughed out loud multiple times. Yeah. In this episode, <laughs> I even paused it and told Jill to come watch <laughs> like the stinger in, uh, was it after the first episode when yeah. Ian sees? <laughs> so I the- watched the first episode and again, this is my first time watching this story. So I watched the first episode like two, three weeks ago okay, just to like get an idea for what it, what it is. And the first episode of this story 
is my favorite episode. <laughs> like it's <laughs> so good. I, but I yeah, agree. That, it was good. That end shot of the sensor rate just like popping up yep. from the window. But it like <laughs> he was already there. So everyone <laughs> right. in the room could see him. <laughs> and he's just kind of coming up. But then what made me laugh again is on the next episode, it's not <laughs> the same person or even the same prop. It's, oh, really? It Like, it looks completely different. It's just a guy with a mask standing there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Um, But, you know, apart from some slow parts in, like, episode four and five, which seems to be just the pattern yeah. of a six-parter, uh, I love this story. Yeah, I thought it was interesting with, um, like, just kind of the mystery. Like, there were a lot of mysteries <laughs> in this story. <laughs> yeah. So many. Like, who are they under attack by? And then that gets answered. And then it's like, well, why are they attacking us? And then there was, like, a whole historical backstory. And then the aqueducts. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a roller coaster. There was a lot going on in this episode. <laughs> this I, I'm going to focus for a little bit just on the the stuff on the ship, which is mostly the first two episodes mm-hmm. because that was my fa- my favorite part. And it starts with this awesome shot of them, the TARDIS team leaving the TARDIS. Oh yeah. And just walking into. from the TARDIS set into the spaceship yeah. set, which was fucking awesome. Cause you could do that back then because everything was on the same soundstage. Yeah. Whereas now like the TARDIS set is like the next building over from mm-hmm. whatever other set they're doing. They they kind of did that in the Neanderthal one too. Like they had rocks and stuff. Oh really? And like they walked out. Yeah, but not as cool as this shot yeah. of like the the ship in well, the back. I also like right before that when they land, we get like the realization that the TARDIS is still moving, and so it's like, uh, oh yeah. And I think it's Susan, who is like, oh, we must have landed in a ship. Or on a ship, I think she says. Uh, uh, that was Barbara. She's oh, okay. like, or in something. And then the doctor's like, in something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, now we see it all the time where they're constantly landing on ships and space stations and stuff. Mm-hmm. But just to be like, oh, we're on something that's moving. Which, is it moving? Because. <laughs> th- maybe in well, orbit. They're in, yeah, they'd have to be in orbit. Yeah. So, that, that was cool. Just kind of the general mystery of these two dead, not dead people. Yeah, that was really cool. It was, yeah, and like if you're a little kid and you know your TARDIS team lands in a spaceship and it has two dead bodies in it before they come back to life, mm-hmm. that's gotta be fucking creepy. It was creepy. And then in episode two, Barbara and Susan are on the wrong side of the door because they walk right past the giant water sign. <laughs> Yeah, that was, (laughs) and I like that shot because they're like, yeah, the water's over there. Oh, we'll find it. And then when they're walking past, you see it and you're like, oh, something's going to happen because they (laughs) missed that. (laughs) And then I love their like fascination with like the motion detector doors. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I was shaking my head for you audio listeners. (laughs) Everyone's an audio listener. I know that's the joke. Uh, but yeah, and then when they do figure it out, just the way they wave their hands in front of it, just so fast. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, uh, in a couple of interviews, I've heard him say, you know, like so many modern day scientists, he was like really into Star Trek when he was a kid and he mm-hmm. kind of like credits it and other sci-fi for like making him want to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. But he says like out of all the things in Star Trek, that were like futuristic, like the communicators, the view screens, all that stuff. 
the one thing that he couldn't wrap his head around and was like, oh, that's impossible, was automatic doors, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we had in like 1978. Yep. <laughs> they were like pressure pads yeah, and then yeah. now sensors. Now, now it's motion. Yeah. So that's awesome. Had a lot of fun with that. So episode two is kind of like all about figuring out that third crew member. And that whole mystery was fun. Which was proper creepy too. Yeah. Like I wrote down, is this dude a zombie? Like what happened to him? <laughs> And it, it was it was cool, like it, like the way the actor portrayed that, and like was in like a mind prison almost, kind of like yeah, that was so good. And then uh, we get kind of the reason people chose this for Susan's episode is she can communicate with him. Yeah, she's was it hinted in an unearthly child that she kind of has telepathic abilities. Uh, I don't think so. Because I remember it being talked about, but I don't know when. And it I was, thought it was in the first episode, but maybe it's later. It was talked about in the Sensorites, like the <clears throat> well, doctor yeah, but mentioned I, it. But I think it was talked about just in Doctor Who, Oh, the show, yeah. way before that. I'm not sure. But they did say that the reason she could do that was because of the planet they were around. Yeah, but I think it was said that it like amplified her abilities yeah yeah and in fact there's some doctor who audios like some big finish stuff where they go back there and she does like a telepathy thing again or they need it in a different episode but like there's like a a fungus from the sensorite planet that like lets Mm. her do it or shit like that oh weird one part i really want to bring up in episode three the sensorites are now on the ship, or two of them are. Mm-hmm. And there's this really long shot of Ian, like, going after them by himself. And we see him walking down this long hallway and looking in, like, every door. And it's rooms we've already seen before because it's, like, a built set. And that crazy guy is in one of the rooms. And then he goes through, like, the fourth room and opens a door, and there they are. And then he's, like grabs a wrench (laughs) and yeah something yeah a space wrench and he's threatening them without talking just anytime they get too close while he's constantly backing up he just makes a motion and then they back up yeah he just raises it and then like that whole scene it's like two or three minutes long Mm -hmm. but i could see a kid like hide behind the couch in anticipation of like right something's gonna happen something's happening it's really cool yeah, I like that scene. Um, I thought the set was a really cool design, and yeah. it, and it seems smart. Um, like it didn't look overly produced, but it still had mm-hmm. enough utility, and it made it look like it was sci-fi enough, which is yeah, it, it was very nice. Like we just watched the Dalek movies last week, and there's not a spare piece of wall that they don't put in some kind of set design. Yeah, and it's really just kind of overcrowded. Mm-hmm. But also, it's like we're in color, so everything's a different color too. Yeah, but yeah, it, it is nice to see something that is minimalistic. Mm-hmm. Like even the controls, there's they're like spacey and sci-fi, and they're weird looking. Yeah, but they're on a small little control thing that like a person sitting in a chair could operate instead mm-hmm. of like just shit everywhere. Right, and we get some cool doctor stuff in this story, like the doctor piloting the ship when. The two crew members are like, oh, we're fucked. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 I can do this. <laughs> and yeah, he, he was actually like captaining it. 
Yeah. Like, uh, starboard thrust now. And then, you know, they'd hit the button. Yeah. Like, that like was... doing all these calculations in yeah. his head, like ah. we'd see modern doctors doing. That was really cool. And then down on the planet, creating a, an antidote for this disease that everybody has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely called it. It also took the doctor too long to figure out it was the water. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right when Ian drank the water and he got sick, it's like, oh, it's the water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I like how he's like, well... Me and Susan didn't drink the water, and Ian did. But like, he's a human, and you're not. So like, true. Yeah. That would that's the one glaring difference between yeah. him and everybody else. And they, I had in my notes like they don't bring up the fact that they're not human. But then Susan does talking to one of them later at the very end. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with the like the biology or right. the chemistry yeah. of this either disease or antidote yeah it was like oh well uh, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to get back to earth and she's like well we're actually not from earth <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah she, and then she describes gallifrey a little bit that was cool uh silver leaves was that said oh, before that might have been not paying attention yeah i know it's still a little while before they say gallifrey like the first doctor doesn't say gallifrey Right. It, 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 she didn't say Gallifrey, but she said, like, the night sky turns a burnt orange and then oh, nice. silver leaves on the trees. Like, it was, it was neat. I must have had to, like, take the headphones off and yell at the dogs or something. <laughs> the fact that they wait so long, because, like, the sensorite's whole beef is, like, uh, we're scared of humans. They came here and mm-hmm. beat the shit out of us. And the doctor and Susan never once say, oh, we're not human. <laughs> right. Like, well, the it, doctor was just pissed that he couldn't get in the TARDIS. Right. Like, he was on a warpath. But if the goal is to like get your shit back, step one would be like, oh yeah, fuck the humans. We're we're not human. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, but then I think even when Susan does bring it up later, they're like, oh, but you look human. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, so do you. You just your hair grows up from your face, and and you have <laughs> flat feet. I love the feet <laughs> when they like the one time they show their feet. One guy moves and his foot just steps on the other guy's foot and they don't notice because how would you? They can't see. But it's like (laughs) if they were real aliens with feet shaped like that, the one guy would be like, ah, get off my foot. (laughs) But they just stand there. Shifting. Yeah. With the feet, when they first entered the, the bridge that like the door opened and both of them at the same time, like thrust their foot far forward. Cause they have to step over the, like the, yeah, the yeah. metal thing. And it was, <laughs> it just looked funny. <laughs> Speaking of looking funny, like they, their hair grows from their chin and they comb it up around their face. Beautiful and, beings. <laughs> and then there's one dude who he has to do something with clothing. Maybe it's when he gives the doctor a cloak or something, but he like messes up his hair. And it's hilarious. <laughs> he looks oh, he like me- Einstein. He messed up the doctor's hair? No, the sensorite. Oh. Hmm. Anyway, I don't really give a shit about the power struggle on the planet. Seems yeah. Seems to be a theme of mine, not caring about those parts <laughs> of these stories. I was trying to anticipate when they were going to figure it out of, like, the whodunit. Because, like, that guy killed the other guy. Um but it wasn't until very later, and it was kind of unsatisfying, like off-screen. Like, yeah, we sent it to, sentenced him to the outer wilds or whatever they said. And I think the problem I have with it might be the same as the problem I have with Power of the Daleks, is that I can't tell any of them apart. It's mm. so like the animation of Power of the Daleks is so shitty that all the dudes look the same. Yeah. That could be. 
and apart from like dick size, it's impossible to tell these centroids <laughs> apart because they have the sashes. <laughs> their costumes are tight and <laughs> around the groin, <laughs> and, and they're just holding up their guts the yeah. whole time. <laughs> it's like Phil Wang in uh, his season of Taskmaster. He's wearing like a Bruce Lee jumpsuit oh. the whole season, <laughs> and every time they do a task, they come back to like the room that they're all in. And the taskmaster's just like, I couldn't think of anything except your dick. Because <laughs> like, you can just see it the whole time. <laughs> oh, man. For like 10 episodes. Um, yeah, I think that's enough talking about sense rights. Yeah. You want to talk about Susan in general a little bit here? She is oh. the reason for the season. I was going to say, in the last three episodes of the, the sense rights, um, I was noticing a lot of the actors were like fumbling their lines, oh, yeah? like very noticeably, <laughs> like even the, the, uh, closed captioning was, was like following their stumble. And it's like, <laughs> what you just said doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think there's one time also when William Hartnell just takes a line that was Ian's. for Ian. <laughs> I was, th- I was wondering if that was it. And like, like Ian played it off perfectly. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, and he has to do that. The whole three or two plus years are on the show together yeah. because there's other episodes like on the DVDs, you can play like an infographic that goes oh. across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And you'll see everyone just like paused and standing in the circle. And then Ian will say something and it'll just say on the bottom of the screen, this was supposed to be William Hartnell's line, but he <laughs> forgot and just didn't say anything. <laughs> and so they're all just standing there. Yeah. But again, in this one, uh, so in, in the unearthly child ian and the doctor were kind of at odds a lot of the uh the story in this one they were chummy like they were like best buds like bouncing ideas off of each other and well there's even it out there's even so the doctor says something in the first half of the story where he's like oh look at us like we used to be uh at odds with each other and at each other's throats now we're adventurers and he's just kind of like pointing that out yeah yeah, it was cool. It was a really cool contrast. I like these two kind of back to back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of characterization of the Doctor is, again, if you're to believe an adventure in space and time, like that's what William Hartnell wanted and mm-hmm. what maybe wasn't quite there in the first one, but also why they reshot the first episode. So I, mm-hmm. I told you in Discord, hey, make sure you don't watch the unaired pilot. Watch... The actual first episode. I couldn't see it. It was. It's at the very bottom of season okay. one. I didn't realize they put it yeah. in its own space. Okay. So yeah, on BritBox on Amazon, you can watch the unaired pilot. I haven't seen it, but I I've heard it is different. Like hit the way he's playing the Doctor is different. Mm. Is it really? Did you watch it? No. No. Oh. I guess we should wrap up the sense rights. The human stuff. I don't care. But I do think the Doctor from the very beginning knew that the humans were underground. Like when they're telling the story about yeah. how like, oh, the other three humans must have just yeah. snuck on board. He immediately is like, that's not what happened. <laughs> well, and I didn't even think of that. Like nope. I was like, oh yeah, they were on board and that's why it exploded. But when it like, embarrassingly late, like when you see <laughs> another human in the aqueducts, like <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's what that is. And then like the doctor just knew the whole time, but... <laughs> Yeah, so this, like, we'll we'll get into more later, obviously, but of everything we've watched together, I think this is the most the first Doctor is like a modern-day Doctor in yeah. this story. Yeah, I would agree. 
Well, let's get on to... I don't want to say it that way. Let's talk about Susan, then. (laughs) (laughs) So, Susan Foreman, you've seen these two stories, uh, the Daleks and the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Yeah. What do you think of her as a companion, kind of apart from the fact that she's the Doctor's granddaughter, which really doesn't mean a ton? Right. I think she's good. Um, She... uh she's smart like she will take things that are happening she'll take control of events and you know insert her own kind of knowledge because she is very knowledgeable um i mean ian and barbara even said that she's like genius like in some aspects and then even even in the sensorites seeing her kind of stand up to the doctor was kind of cool like she was standing her ground i i really like that it was cool until she was immediately slapped down by the doctor. Yeah, I I I think it it would have been better if she would have like just not done that. <laughs> like oh, just yeah. like no, I'm doing this. I think it's for the best and then later have that conversation with the doctor and well when Ian first goes into that hallway to be like you're not taking Susan, what I wanted was for him to be like, "Well, I'm coming too." Like just take both of us. Yeah. Yeah, just that be like, would have been fine. Like, I trust Susan, but I just want to be there, too, in case I need to punch some dudes, which is Ian's job. Yeah. But, no, the doctor comes, does his little, hey, you guys are scared of the dark trick, and then, like, tells her to go wait in her room. And then when he's done yelling at the bad guys, goes in and just like, hey, you do what I fucking say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, you're right. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then that's it. Yeah. But that's kind of not unlike some conversations we've seen other companions get into. Like um, Matt Smith yelled at Amy yeah, several times. But then Amy saved the day and was like, hey, fuck you. Right. And I wanted the, the actual saving of the day being her, <laughs> like being Susan's and telling the doctor right. I was right. That it's, would have been amazing. Instead, what we do get is her like communicating telepathically with Barbara so Barbara can be guided through the sewer or the aqueduct but then when barbara gets there she doesn't do anything so it's all for no reason yeah well it was uh who was there it was barbara and oh it was the uh john right barbara and john went uh yeah yeah i was really kind of confused by that section of the story because they were like well let's just play like they won the war and we'll get them out and then they'll be arrested. Like, what? Yeah. What is that? So and then Bar- what happened to those guys? Did they just kill them? No, they were on the ship. Oh, okay. They're taking, at the very end, it's like, well, they agreed to take the crazy guys back to Earth. And then someone, I think the doctor just goes, yeah, they're truly insane. <laughs> Jeez. That's, so those guys, there's no help for. Yeah. They were just too doped up on sensorite brain. Is I that guess. what happened? Yeah. So yeah, so Susan, these two stories, the first of the unearthly child and then sensorites, apart from Susan getting slapped down by her grandpa, is what Carol Ann Ford was promised Susan was going to be, and it didn't happen. Mm. So she very quickly became just the damsel in distress. Like in Dalek Invasion of Earth, she just like breaks her ankle as soon as they land, so they gotta take care of her the whole time. And then they just pawn her off on some dude <laughs> and she's like well she's your problem now <laughs> and, well yeah and then he just dips out <laughs> yeah but uh 
I was reading an interview with Carol Ann Ford uh, the other day. The interview was like from 2011 or something. Or no, it was from 2006. And they asked her like, well, how do you feel about leaving the show so early? Like all these years later. And she's like, oh, I'd fucking do it again. Like they, the character was garbage. It, she wasn't what they told me she was going to be. And they ruined my career. Like, I, oh, really? She almost has no acting credits in oh, IMDb after man. this. What what happened? Like, it was just bad turns? or? <clears throat> well, she was so bad on the show because the character oh. is so bad. So no one, okay. It wasn't like and a blacklist thing. No. Well, okay. Maybe, I don't know. BBC has certainly been accused of doing that to people before. But after like 1972, she doesn't have any IMDb credits that aren't related to Doctor Who. Hmm. Wow. And then in this interview, she was like, you know, describing how she wanted Susan to be, and she brings up Rose, because this is like the first series that just aired. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, I would love to be a companion now. Like, look at Rose. She's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And she even said, like, oh, I watch every episode of Doctor Who. I fucking love it. Yeah. But she does not like Susan. Man, wait till she got to Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Martha's a boss. Oh, Martha be banging. Martha be banging. Uh... <laughs> So thinking about Susan in that context and the other episodes we've seen, and we'll see a couple more because when we do our Ian and Barbara episodes of the podcast, they will be uh, stories that Susan's in. Okay. So we will see her again and you'll maybe get a greater sense of what she means when she says this. But having that knowledge, does that change how you feel about? That's kind of like what I was kind of feeling is... The character wanted to be more, but was kind of getting, not stepped on, but also not encouraged to kind of be that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's what it seemed like. And that that scene, it like kind of summarizes that perfectly. Like she was going to do what she was going to do, but then was told no kind of thing. Right. And you will have people saying like, well, it's kind of a crowded TARDIS team, which in the 60s, we do tend to have big TARDIS teams, mm-hmm. but also... You have six episodes. This thing's almost three hours long. Right. Everyone can have something. And there's only moment. Yeah. There's only three crew members. And then somewhere between two and fifty sensorites. They all look the same. I have no idea who they all are. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, it's not I mean, for two episodes, Barbara just goes up to the ship and we don't see her. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) I didn't like not having Barbara around. (laughs) Well, I think in Everyone has like vacations in their contract. Oh, so there is just will, a scheduling. Yeah, there are episodes where like the doctor's in bed for the whole episode. Yeah, or like, you know, stuff like Barbara got sent up to the ship and we just don't see her. It's like, yeah, she got that week off. Well, and I was I was wondering if maybe they were doing like a like a like a cheeky um, like shooting alternate scenes for another story in that time or not no it didn't work like that back no? then oh okay they didn't have the space to build multiple sets oh i suppose yeah and these are almost shot to air they might have shot it on like during the week to maybe not air that saturday but maybe the next one okay and so there's not a lot of time and so like if they're doing episode three on the ship and episode four down on the planet all those sets have to come down and then for episode six, they build them again. Maybe that's why we don't see the ship again. Oh, yeah, it could be. We just see the TARDIS, which the TARDIS is probably static. 
Yeah, I'd assume so. Yeah. Shifted. Uh, one thing Caroline Ford did say in that interview, so that that two-parter I was trying to describe earlier, it's called Edge of Destruction. It takes place entirely in the TARDIS, and people generally don't like it. But Caroline Ford said that it's her favorite because she actually got to act. Oh. Because we have like our TARDIS team, and they all go crazy and try killing each other. So it's, it's Ian, Barbara, Susan, and the Doctor? Yep. Okay. And so like, it all turns out like the TARDIS went wrong. And it made them all crazy, and they tried killing each other. And Caroline Ford actually got to do something different. So she she names that as her favorite episode because mm. she actually got to do something. With the hindsight we have, like her character, she's a time lord. She's supposed to be like a wicked smart, and yeah. she's just supposed to be different. And we, even all these years later, with the hindsight of what time lords are, which they didn't have at the time. We haven't seen a Time Lord or even a Gallifreyan that's, like, as ineffectual as she is. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. Like, if she's a Time Lord, that means she went through the Academy as part of military? (laughs) Maybe she's too young. Maybe she... Because she's supposed to be 16. Like, Earth 16 or, like, Time Lord 16? So that's, like, super young? I think it's mentioned, like, in a different episode, someone... Someone's talking to her and she says, I'm in my 16th year or something like that. Hmm. They did say 16 and unearthly child. Oh, maybe that's it then. But that w- that was Ian and Barbara saying it, so I didn't know if that was like oh. Earth 16 or... No, I think she's literally 16. It's kind of been retconned that she's in her first incarnation. Hmm. Um, or first regeneration, however you want to call it. I said that I was like went through and watched all the other episodes that we aren't going to watch when we do our watch through. And... One of them is Planet of Giants, where the TARDIS team lands like in someone's backyard, but they're tiny. It's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh. And they have to deal with it. And the Doctor and Barbara are split apart, and then Ian and Susan are split apart. And the Doctor figures out what happened, and Susan figures out what happened. And so... They're cutting back and forth between the doctor explaining the situation to Barbara and Susan explaining the situation to Ian. And it's showing that, like, they're equals. They figured it out at the same time, and they're explaining it to their dumb human pets that are following them. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I wrote my notes that, like, a scene like that is what Susan was supposed to be. And apart from very small glimpses, we just don't see it. Yeah. That was driven into even starker contrast. I don't know if that's the right phrase to use. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that was driven home even harder when we watched the Dalek movies. Like, the Susan they have in those movies is way better. Hmm. And I don't think it's just because she's younger. Like, she's... There's a scene in the Daleks where the TV show... Where Susan has to go back to the TARDIS and get the drugs to save everybody. And she's really scared. And she's running through the woods and people are hitting her with branches. And she's like crying and she's scared, but she does it. She like perseveres. Mm -hmm. And when she gets back to the team, she has like a newfound confidence that she didn't have before. And so like immediately after that, she like tricks a Dalek and like pretends to get captured. And gives, throws a little wink to her friends. Yeah. 
And this is Susan we haven't seen. And so it's like, oh, here we go. We got character growth. But it immediately goes away. And Susan does nothing else in the rest of that story. Yeah. But in the movie, little girl Susan just is like, oh, yeah, I'll go get the drugs. Nope. No big deal. Yeah. She's, she's like, let me do it. She's gets, a stud. Gets her backpack. <laughs> and so when she comes back and tricks the Dalek, there's no wink. Everyone's just like, oh, she's tricking the Dalek because she's smart. Yeah. <laughs> and so like they don't have to explain, hey, this is a trick. Right. She just walks up and puts her hands into the Dalek's handcuffs and is like, let's go. <laughs> and it mm. works way better in the movie because Susan's our hero in mm. the story. And Susan Foreman in the show isn't. She's She is that which we are trying to save or at least just like keep safe. Yeah. I wonder, do you think that's a product of the of the times that those different instances of the same story were shot and acted? Well, you would assume so, but then Caroline Ford says that when she was hired, she was told that that, was that wouldn't be. be the case. Yeah. And with ex- with some small exceptions, it's not the case for Barbara, who granted is an older woman. I mean, older than Susan. I don't mean she's an old woman. Right. But she's a woman, and... She takes charge. Right. Yeah. Multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, there's no reason you can't switch roles back and forth. Like, Mm -hmm. there's almost never a time when Susan and Barbara have to go save Ian. Yeah. I would say maybe in Sensorites, when the Doctor and Ian were lost, that was, like, the one time. (laughs) But they didn't even do that, because they were already, like... With the guy trying to trick him to get out. Right. Yeah. And like Ian got sick, but the doctor came up with the antidote. Right. Like, why not have Susan do that? That would have been sick. Right? Oh, man. Like Susan using her big brain in science. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be cool. Or maybe like have a scene where the doctor's like, oh, hey, I think it might be this. And then Susan's like, oh, yeah. And then she goes and makes the antidote. Or even, um, so I mentioned earlier in Sensorites, like it was the Doctor and Ian kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, coming up with plan. Yeah. Like if it was her, or if it was the Doctor and Susan doing that, because they're both geniuses, like figuring it out, like, oh, I could I could figure out right. this antidote and you go to the aqueducts to figure out what's going on there. And it would give the illusion of a backstory that we don't see. Yeah. Like this isn't their first adventure together. Oh, they mention that a lot. Right. <laughs> like, we've been doing this for oh, years. Yeah. We've never had an argument. They do put that in Sensorites when uh, Barbara and Susan first discover that, like, if they block out their minds, they can block the Sensorites. Mm-hmm. Susan is like, oh, one time grandfather and I were on this planet and these people had telepathy and this is how we dealt with it. Yeah. But that never happens again. No. She never uses knowledge from her past to solve a problem, which in modern Doctor Who... Happens all the time. All the time, yeah. yeah. The doctor's just like, oh, I already know how to fix this because this happened one time. I I think, well, maybe maybe I'm wishful thinking, but I think if this kind of arc of Susan were to be written today, it it would have kind of that. And and it would would be capitalized on because, you know. Oh, if it were written today, like if this was a new show starting today, about like an old man and his granddaughter from another planet in the future, he would be the bumbling moron and yeah. she'd be the genius who solves everything. Right. Because that's just how TV's made now. Yeah. Which, you know, even in current who we kind of get that a little bit. 
Like the doctor will be fumbling up and then it'll be the companion that kind of figures it out. Yeah. Or if there's a river episode, river's always the one that figures oh, it out and the doctor's so holding the screen upside down. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. How you feel? Feel like that was a good Susan chat? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I got all my Susan-ness out. So we won't try to like rank her or compare her to anyone because she's the first one. Yeah. But maybe we'll do that later. And it's going to be hard, man. <laughs> Why do we do this? Because <laughs> it's hard. And I like to see you squirm. Uh, but uh, new companions are usually a reaction to the companion they are replacing. And our next episode is going to be about that companion that replaced Susan. And it's going to be Vicky. Okay. And the reason we're skipping Ian and Barbara for now is because Ian and Barbara are in the Vicky episodes we're going to watch. So we're going to do Vicky, and then we're going to go back and do Ian and Barbara. All right. I don't really want to give anything away, but she's young, like Susan. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any of Vicky, right? You have not. Okay. No, you have. She's in the chase. She doesn't have pigtails, does she? Maybe who, sometimes. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> uh, Ian. <laughs> okay so we've already seen the chase we're gonna watch her very first story the rescue which be happy to know is only two episodes Ooh, we can't watch her last story the myth makers because it is missing as is the one previous galaxy four we're going to save the time meddler for steven when we do our podcast on him so I put on Twitter asking if we should watch the Romans, the Web Planet, or the Space Museum. Those are the only three. So she's in nine stories. Three of them are missing. Hmm. One of them we're going to do because it's technically Steven's second episode, but we're going to use it as his first. Because he's not in the chase very much. Yeah, three are missing. One we're going to do for Steven. One we've already seen. And then we're going to do the rescue. So that only leaves three other ones. I put it up on Twitter for a vote. 100% unanimous. Oh. We're going to watch The Romans. The Romans. All right. Now, we only got one answer or response because I just did it a couple hours ago. <laughs> 100% Jake. And I'm pretty sure it was Odali. Thanks. <laughs> and you're, you're the real MVP. I'm also pretty sure that because what I put on is like, what's the most Vicky story? Now, I'm pretty sure the Space Museum is the most Vicky story because she, like, organizes a military coup. <laughs> and so, Oh, shit. But Space Museum sucks, and the Romans <laughs> is awesome. Oh, so, so you like it? You've seen it? Yeah, I've seen all these. Gotcha. But, like An Unearthly Child, the Romans is a pure historical, which is something we don't get in Doctor Who anymore. It's in the past, in Roman times. And there's no monster, no alien, other than the Doctor. <laughs> All right. And maybe Vicky, I don't know if she's human. She must be human. I think she is. So that that's a plan for next time. We cool. tend We tend to be dropping these every other week. Yeah, we're doing pretty good lately. Yeah. We had a, we had a dry spell there for a sec. Yeah. So again, we're going to watch The Rescue, which is two episodes, and The Romans, which is four episodes. So we'll still be watching less than we did for this week. Wait till we do Jamie McCrimmon and we have to watch a million the war games. 
which is 10 episodes long. Jeez. But it's three companions last episode. <laughs> That's a big hit. Maybe two. Give me that. Well, do you want to give an MVP? I didn't write anything down, but. um, Of both stories or just one and then the well, other? You can do both if you want. I really did like the uh, the doctor in Unearthly Child. He was very, like, good on street on screen. Very strong acting. Like, it, it it was great. Like, he was the best of everybody. Well, that's why they hired him. because yeah. he was already an established star. Like, he was in movies. It was it was great. He was really good. Um, and then in the Sensorites, what was the what was the other lady's name? Uh, that was gonna marry John. Carol. Carol. I really liked her for some reason. <laughs> so I had it in my notes. I don't have my notes, but. The actress whose name I can't remember off the top of my head is still acting. Oh, like, nice. The other two crew members have both passed, one in the 90s and one in 2001. But she was in an episode of like Power Rangers Beasts something in 2020. Damn. All right. Yeah, I'll give it to those two. All right. I'm giving it to William Hartnell for the sense rights. Uh, I thought he was awesome. I even had a favorite line again. Don't have my notes, so this is verbatim. <laughs> he says something like, well, we better leave. I never interfere in the affairs of others. And then Ian laughs. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, come on. I'm, I'm not even curious. I don't have a curious mind. And then he immediately turns on the pilot guy. And it was like, tell me everything that's happening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I wrote that so down, good. too. I thought that was great. That was fun. So, Alex, this is our longest brothers in a very long time. It'll yeah. get edited down, though. We can lose about 20 minutes. Give me that paper crumpling theme song. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brothers and Who. Please go listen to our Married to Who podcast, the main podcast on this feed. We've just begun Series 10, and we'll be continuing to move through there and learning the mystery of the vault. On behalf of myself, Jake, and my brother Alex, thank you for listening. Please join us next week as we talk about Vicky. Pretty, <laughs> <laughs>